Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Stephanie's call in the last segment raises a good question. What is it that we mean when we echo this term, this motto, this slogan, drain the swamp? What are we talking about? What is the swamp? I'm a little confused on this point. It's kind of like hope and change. You know, I remember back in 2008, a lot of us, uh, most of us, most everybody on right of center was perplexed by how two words hope and change had captivated so many people in the general election because they are meaningless. It doesn't communicate anything at all. It's a, it's filler language, which you can project your own values upon and then pretend, imagine that that's what Barack Obama actually means. And that's what millions of people did. And they voted accordingly. In a similar sense, I believe that when, when Donald Trump talks about draining the swamp, to a large extent, voters bring their own sense of what that means, what it means to them, to the table, and assume that that's what Donald Trump is talking about, when in point of fact, it may not be the case. This is Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855, the number to join us. You can catch us streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and on your favorite iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you tuning in. Stephanie's call, uh, what what she cited was her admiration and acceptance and and value of Trump's tendency to act in the moment and to act decisively in reaction to a particular set of circumstances that trigger him to a large extent on a whim to take certain actions. And we're, of course, talking about this in the context of his recent firing of FBI Director James Comey. And so the idea is, you know, yes, did he do this on impulse? Did he do this to some degree or another on instinct? Was this the kind of decisive CEO-style action that he's accustomed to making in his business endeavors, and he's now bringing that style of decision-making into the White House? Yeah, and that's a good thing, Stephanie says. It's a good thing because that's precisely what we want. We want something different. We want something that that drains the swamp or is an alternative to politics as usual. Here's the problem with that. It sounds great. It feels great. You know, there's there's just like if you go in, you might have problems with your boss at work, right? All kinds of and and they might be informed by legitimate issues. There might be something objectively wrong with the way in which your place of employment is managed. And you may have all kinds of valid points that you can raise in objection to what you see happening around you in your place of employment. It may feel really good to waltz in there one morning and just let your boss have it. Just tell him, you know, everything up and down from start to finish, a comprehensive list of everything that he's doing wrong in explicit detail and decisively tell him he's wrong and you're right. 
that doesn't make it a smart thing to do. Yeah, I think the word that uh, Stephanie was getting at is that Donald Trump is capricious. And just a normal person, somebody that you might have a relationship with in any capacity, that operates on 100% capriciousness, like, you can't work with them well at all. There's no eye on the prize. There's no larger goal. There's no, like, she said, you can tell he's not a politician because he doesn't have, like, the this is the way things operate attitude. Right. But, like, you need that attitude just to advance, to progress. Right. And you know why you need that attitude in order to advance? Because this is the way things are. There's actually something to that. And we talk about this on the program on a regular basis. There are actual institutional limitations to what you can do in a given situation. The president of the United States is not the emperor of America. He is not the king of the Western Hemisphere. We can apply it to the right, too. You can't deny reality. Yeah, you cannot deny reality. You know, you, you... his role is what it is, and it's defined by by the Constitution and by other institutional realities and has certain limitations. And the, the actions that he takes, whether they're capricious or well thought out, are going to have consequences, both in terms of you know the, the actual intended effect of the policy and the reaction, the, the reaction politically, the reaction amongst his own party, the reaction amongst the, his opponents, the reaction in the media, the reaction amongst the electorate and what have you. And that if, if you're actually going to try to have some sort of long-term sustainable effect upon public policy, you have to take those realities into consideration. And Donald Trump doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't think he doesn't seem to think, at least, you know, this is just my perception. I could be wrong. I would love, I would love to be proven wrong. I would love it so much. I would love to be able to take this back. But until I can, my conclusion is he makes decisions on whim. He thinks about the next five minutes, the next day, the next week. He, he, he made this decision from if the political report that we talked about last hour is to be trusted. He made this decision to fire James Comey. So that he could see the reaction on cable television later that day, right? So that he could see the narrative change regarding what uh, the, the effect that he imagined it would have upon the ongoing narrative regarding Russian collusion. And when it didn't go his way, he, he got frustrated even more because things work the way they work. They work a certain way. And that is in opposition to this sort of cavalier ad hoc capricious attitude you know, that Brad describes. And, you know, this it's something that we're going to have to to get used to from seeing from, from the White House for, you know, at least the next three and a half years. Uh, but it, it's not a particularly effective way to accomplish any sort of long-term sustainable public policy agenda. I want to move in this hour to uh, getting off this politics stuff. We've been talking for quite some time about uh, the, the James Comey thing. If you have thoughts, comments, what have you on that, we'll continue to take your calls at 651-989-5855. But in the meantime, I want to move into a few stories here that caught my eye as I was sifting through the goings-on in the world regarding technology and the emergence of technology and the, the potential threats uh, along with the uh, potential uh, benefits that this technology could uh, manifest 
in our day-to-day life. Before we get into that, we will take a call from Morris in Minneapolis. Welcome to Closing Argument. Hello? Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was uh, listening to your two examples that you gave <clears throat> concerning political made a statement, and I didn't catch who the other one was that indicated that uh, Comfrey had asked for additional money to uh, expand the uh, investigation. Uh, Comfrey himself, uh, according to later reports on national news, came out and told, said himself that he had not asked for additional money for anything. So I wouldn't put a lot of weight on, on that particular uh, whoever. Where did you hear that? I heard that on uh, LePen Talk Radio. I don't know where it's okay. out in New York or someplace like that. I got you. Well, okay. yeah, the, the story it. in question uh, comes from the Star Tribune, and it was... Oh, oh man, that, that piece of rag, I wouldn't even... Well... <laughs> you know, that, 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 we used to have an outhouse on the farm, and we wouldn't even <laughs> use that for an outhouse. <laughs> I hear you. And believe me, I, I've on over this very air, I've been very critical of the Star Tribune's reporting on a number of things. That said, yeah. that said, I, I think I'm just pulling your leg. On. No, I hear you, but I, I I do think it's a mistake to dismiss it out of hand. And this was this was updated as early as uh, 9:30 tonight, so you know less yeah. than an hour ago. Um, so if it's if it's wrong, then I hope they change it soon. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I'd like to say is concerning uh, Comfrey. Um, Somebody that is, was very wise said, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And that's what was, he was operating on yeah. the entire time that he functioned. And Trump is just the opposite. He, When he makes a decision, he goes with a decision pretty much. If he can make it, make, if, he, if, if the decision stands within his power to execute. And uh, uh, it, I, I'm glad he got rid of him. The, the man the man was uh, he he could uh, meander for the next four years looking for a, a Russian under every bush and uh, and uh, right. know what he was doing right yeah no the the guy was god awful at his job and I I agree with you he should have been fired I I do nonetheless question the the uh, strategic approach to doing it in this way at this time under these particular set of circumstances but yes the guy the guy was horrible at his job and he shouldn't have been in charge of the investigation of russia or any investigation for that matter because he had a demonstrated ability to to both politicize investigations and to select his his criteria for both prosecution and the disclosure of information based upon a kind of a whimsical you know zeitgeist you know, pitch snapshot of the moment that's just completely inappropriate for that sort of role. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The, the other thing that I would say, though, concerning this decision, I don't think this decision was necessarily a snap decision. Again, depending upon Politico with their story, um, he obviously had to wait for a written statement from the deputy 
within the uh, Department of Justice and the uh, okay from Jeff Sessions before it came to him. And I believe that he, when he prepared this thing, he had that delivered, I believe, to the uh, uh, his Humphrey's uh, office. Yeah. And Humphrey uh, only found out it, about it because somebody came and heard it on the news and came into where he was speaking in Los Angeles. And the president may not even known that Humphrey was out of town for the uh, day. So he was delivering it to the right spot. He was waiting for the right men uh, who were uh, making decisions on this. And I think this all came out of the hearing where Comfrey showed himself, you know, where he says, well, on one hand, you know, I, I couldn't conceal it. On the other hand, I couldn't reveal it. And, and, he, and uh, it, he showed himself so totally inept. Mm-hmm. I think it, it ran from that point through the deputy to Jeff Sessions, mm-hmm. to him, and then straight for, forward to, to the office. And whoever received that office, probably should not have opened the envelope. It probably was for Comfrey, and they wanted to see what was going on, and they opened it. I appreciate your call and your observations, Morris. Appreciate you listening to the program. Um, just to, to clarify there, we are talking about James Comey. Um, I, he kept referring to him as Humphrey. Uh, but, yeah, you know, the, look, you're not going to get any argument from me that James Comey deserved to be fired. That that's that to my mind that's not an issue, and in fact that's the reason why I didn't pay a lot of mind to this story when it first broke because uh, my initial reaction was oh yeah that makes sense he was god awful at his job he should have been fired a long time ago, uh, and particularly in light of of recent uh, events his most recent testimony before Congress that apparently was just factually incorrect in in almost every regard uh, and was geared towards making him look I mean Comey in some ways Comey is almost a a, a kind of a mirror image. Uh, or a reflection, I should say, of of Donald Trump, in that they both kind of seem to employ a very similar sense uh, of of decision making in terms of how they choose to communicate, why they choose to do the things they do, and you know, so there's some degree of irony to Trump's decision to fire him. And I just wish it would have came under different circumstances because that's the thing; it's not like there wasn't a a variety of ways in which he Trump could have chosen to go about implementing this choice. He could have done it in a different way. He could have brought Comey in. He could have sat him down. He could have said, look, we're, we're, we, want, we don't want you in charge of this uh, operation anymore. We're going to bring somebody else in, but we want it to be you know, a, a, an orderly transition. We want to let you go out with some degree of dignity. And, you know, he could have handled it in such a way that it, it, it could have looked better and resulted in much less blowback. But that's just not the way Trump operates. When we come back, I want to get into some of these stories regarding uh, technology, emerging technology, and the effect that it has potentially upon your rights and uh, the prosecution of the law. We'll continue to take your calls on that and the Comey situation, 651-989-5855. This is Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. <laughs> Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. This is Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson, 651-989-5855, the number to join the program we've been discussing over the course of the entire show. You know, every once in a while, there's a topic that just dominates the entire show. 
it, it doesn't happen very often, but this seems to be one of those, and that is the firing of James Comey, uh, the former now FBI director, by President Donald Trump. And uh, we are taking your calls at this time. Let's go to Pat in Shoreview. Welcome to the program. Thanks. Um, I think that uh, Trump had to do it. I think it, it, it does look bad, but I don't think he had any choice. I think James Comey has like this savior complex. And right now it seems to be that he thinks he has to save the nation from Trump. I, he could, this, I think Trump is correct, and I agree with Trump, in that this whole Russia investigation, as far as collusion goes with the Russian and his campaign, it's not there. Now, granted, you might get some ancillary type of misconduct, like, you know, what Flynn did with as far as money goes. Right. But if you're going to, you know, raise a stink about Flynn getting $50,000 when Bill Clinton got $500,000 from the Russians, and then they sold, you know, uh, 20% of the uranium stores to Russia, um, you know, there's an investigation you want to have, but Comey doesn't want to do that. He's after Trump. And so it it seems, he seems crazed to me. And, and. The other thing that Comey does that I, it makes me think he's got like this savior complex or he's, he doesn't make any sense to me is, is that uh, as far as Hillary and storing um, classified information on a, a server and so forth, first off, the, there was – he claimed that you know he needed intent to a prosecutor, and that's not correct. It's, the standard is one of recklessness, and clearly she was reckless, um, and even if um, – even if you, even if you wanted to use a standard of intent, there was intent there in that um, she lied about it. Right. She was told not to do it by um, State Department officials that you know that this was illegal and and wrong. She and, behaved like somebody who knew she was doing something wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 crazy just given her background and given everyone else's background in government for the length of time she's been in government for her not to know that you can't store classified information offsite. Um, is insane. Yeah. So that's why I think that, you know, Comey is um, a real dangerous person and that it seemed to be, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, impartial. He seemed to be playing to the Washington crowd, whatever that, you know, deep swamp sort of thing is. He seemed, doesn't like Trump. And I think that uh, he had to go. He seemed to, to really like the limelight. He seemed to like attention and, and any, any time he could, take advantage of a set of circumstances to put himself at the forefront, to get himself in headlines, to be in front of Congress, you know, drip dropping little information, little tidbits to keep everybody on the edge of their seat. That seemed to be his focus, which of course is wholly inappropriate for, for that role. I appreciate your call, Pat. You know, it's interesting. Pat brought up uh, Hillary Clinton. It, it brought to mind one of the great ironies of, of this situation is, you know, on, on the one hand, you have this ongoing obsession with trying to dig and dig and dig until we find some clear evidence of collusion between Trump, his campaign, uh, his administration, and Russian agents. Meanwhile, and this is from back in January, this is like right after uh, the inauguration of Donald Trump from the Washington Times, Clinton Global Initiative to shut down, lay off 22 as donations dry up. The Clinton Global Initiative has terminated 22 employees and will soon become another casualty of the 2016 election season. CGI, which opened in 2005, will officially close April 15th of 2017. Paperwork filed with the New York Department of Labor January 12th confirmed the discontinuation along with the termination of 22 employees. 
the January 12th filing makes permanent plans issued August 22nd by former President Bill Clinton as the family attempted to extricate itself from any conflicts of interest. Now, here's a really obvious question that somebody who calls themselves a journalist might be inclined to ask. Of course, we don't have many of those. Why did the donations dry up for the the Clinton, Clinton Global Initiative immediately upon the election of Donald Trump? I thought that the reason why people were so interested in contributing to the Clinton Foundation, the Clinton Global Initiative, was because out of the kindness of their hearts, they wanted to contribute to the the charitable uplifting of the, the poor and needy and the development of the third world across the globe. Doesn't that cause remain? Isn't there still value in that? Or is it possible that the only reason these organizations existed, the Clinton Foundation, the Clinton Global Initiative, was in order to provide basically, for all intents and purposes, the laundering of money in order to purchase influence to the corridors of power. And since Hillary Clinton didn't become president of the United States, there was no longer any product to sell. And as a result, the donations dried up. That seems to me to be a pretty clear case of what has actually happened here. And the evidence is right there in front of us, but nobody's talking about it. Meanwhile, you know, we got to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig to find some sort of corruption between Donald Trump and the Russians. How about Hillary Clinton and everybody? Hillary Clinton and anyone she's ever done business with. Nobody seems to be interested in that. It's a big part of the reason why the the fake news meme has become so powerful. Thomas in Minneapolis, welcome to the program. Uh, Thomas? Mm-hmm. Hello. Yeah, uh, thank you, Fred. I'm lo- enjoying your program. Uh, everything that, that Comey has done, this you are right on with what you're stating. They were Clinton, Hillary was obviously selling her influence, and she was doing that while she was Secretary of State, too. And it goes way back and before that. The Clinton Initiative drying up. There's how much more proof you need that, that they're selling their influence. Right. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, and my, my, the one question I have with all these stacks that we have, these are facts. Can they, can they now get somebody new to bring charges against Hillary Clinton? Yeah. Well, I, I, I would be so amused. <laughs> And uh, and ingratiated to the president if he actually uh, moved forward with that. Because, look, he, he said he was going to do it. It was one of his late campaign promises. He said he was going to prosecute her. Do you think that, that whoever replaces Comey could actually legally do that? Can they go back I don't and know. bring charges? I don't know. I'm, I'm not lawyered enough, uh, I'm a big enough legal mind to know whether or not that's a thing that he could do. It's a very strange time when you can look at facts like this and the, the Democrats, they're just completely ignored and the media right. is just in the liberals' hip pocket. It's just absolutely an amazing time to see what's happening. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be anything we can do about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, for the time being, uh, Trump is the president and Republicans are control of Washington, so that's something. That ain't nothing. Appreciate your call, and Thomas. Dan in Minneapolis, welcome to the program. Thank you for taking my call. Yep. 
Uh, well, I just want to say I'm not a big deal like James Comey was. <laughs> I was once part of a layoff where 21,000 people got laid off with a simple email. Uh-huh. I got rehired by the same company and laid off again on Christmas Eve with the same email. Mm-hmm. But so I guess I don't really have a problem with the message, <laughs> the way it was sent. Uh-huh. But as, as I, now that you're talking about Hillary, I can't agree more with you about that. Yeah. Uh, you hear the stories of how all the diamond mines are now owned by Hillary's brother. Right. All, all rice in Haiti is now owned by Bill's brother. Right. GM donated $680,000 worth of vehicles to the Clinton Foundation for mm-hmm. Haiti, mm-hmm. and they became her motorcade. Mm-hmm. I would lo- just like the last caller, I would love to see someone get into office because there's nothing that bothers me more than someone with power or someone with money getting away with stuff. Well, and- that's Hillary Clinton or George Soros or Adrian Peterson serving yeah. four days of when he was supposed to do 80 days of community service. Right, right. Hey, I appreciate your call, and I, I share your sentiment there, Dan. Yeah, it's, it is it is gross. It's very, very gross the way. And le- look, Clinton is not just, you know, some uh, Yahoo, you know, outlier. They are the standard bearers for their movement, for their party. They are indicative of what the left is all about. While they pretend, and we talk about this in the program all the time, while they pretend to care about the poor, while they pretend to care about those in Haiti who are in need, in reality, it's all a pretense to get a slice of the cheese. And that's what you see to manifest in the, the Clinton Global Initiative, the Clinton Foundation, and, and, and a variety of other ways as well. 651-989-5855, the number. This is Closing Argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. I had to double and then triple check, and it turns out this story that I'm about to share with you is indeed not from The Onion. From the Washington Post, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer wrapped up his brief interview with Fox Business from the White House grounds late Tuesday night and then disappeared into the shadows, huddling with his staff near a clump of bushes and then behind a tall hedge. To get back to his office, Spicer would have to pass a swarm of reporters wanting to know why President Trump suddenly decided to fire the FBI director. And then uh, scrolling down, it continues. After Spicer spent several minutes hidden in the darkness and among the bushes near these sets, Janet Montesi, an executive assistant in the press office's office, emerged and told reporters that Spicer would answer some questions as long as he was not filmed doing so. Spicer then emerged. Just turn the lights off. Turn the lights off, he ordered. We'll take care of this. Can you just turn that light off? Spicer got his wish and was soon standing in near darkness between two tall hedges with more than a dozen reporters closely gathered around him. For 10 minutes, he responded to a flurry of questions, vacillating between lighthearted asides and clear frustration with getting the same questions over and over again. So the uh, the thesis of the story there being that Sean Spicer is literally hiding in the bushes, hiding in the darkness, trying to avoid reporters uh, on account of the fact that his job might require him to try to explain what his boss is doing. Well, didn't they have a press conference? or There there was, I think I saw just like a brief blurb uh, from Reuters on Facebook today. They had a Facebook Live video of like Comey, or excuse me, Spicer's assistant like deputy giving a press conference and not 
Spicer himself. And I thought it was kind of weird given that what just went on with Cone. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not sure on the timeline. This is actually this occurred, even though it was reported just before we went on the air tonight. The story, this this particular story uh, is is came out at about 830 tonight. The incident in question was from last night. So this was still in the thick of it before they, I guess, had really gotten their act together, which, again, speaks to the veracity of that this working theory that we have regarding what took place here. If this was indeed something that had been well considered and thought out and discussed and, and was a, a deliberate act of strategic policy, the firing of James Comey, then Sean Spicer wouldn't be hiding in the bushes. You know what I'm saying? He would have talking points in hand. He would have his speech prepared. He would know what it is that he, he the message that he's supposed to deliver to the media, to the public regarding this firing. He was caught off guard. Clearly. He was caught off guard. And if he was caught off guard, then everybody was caught off guard. You know what I'm saying? Which goes to the to the theory that this was a whim. This was a decision that was made on a whim. There was no strategy here. There was no foresight. There was no discussion. It was just Trump in, in true apprentice fashion saying, you're fired. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651 989-5855, the number to join us this evening. Brad Omlin produces the program. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app, two ways to stream us. We are here 9 to 11 weeknights and appreciate you joining us. Let's get to some of these articles here uh, that kind of reflect some emerging technology that I find fascinating because they have implications socially, potentially politically, in terms of criminal justice and what have you. From The Telegraph. Emotion reading technology could soon be used by police after a Russian firm created a tool that can identify people in a crowd if they are angry, stressed, or nervous. The software created by InTech Lab can monitor citizens for suspicious behavior by tracking identity, age, gender, and current emotional state. It could be used to preemptively stop criminals and potential terrorists. The recognition gives a new level of security in the street because of a, in a couple of seconds you can identify terrorists or criminal killers, said Alexander Kebrakov, Intech Lab chief executive. The emotion recognition tool is a new part of Intech Lab's facial recognition software, which made the headlines last year when it was used to power the FindFace app that can track down anyone on Russia social network Vkontakt. I'm not quite sure how that's pronounced. Maya. My Russian isn't all that good. So, you know, on its face, potentially concerning that uh, we basically have the ability or the, the ability is being developed and could soon be widely dis disseminated to read emotions of people in crowds. Because the potential applications of that, of course, are numerous and some of them are potentially legitimate and uh, many more are very invasive and illegitimate. You know, we're rapidly approaching the point, if we haven't already passed it already, given all the, the the smart devices that we carry on us and encounter on a regular basis and the mass surveillance that takes place in, in any metro area across the globe, uh, where the notion of privacy is to one degree or another a thing of the past. From an outlet called New Scientist, move over, Sherlock, UK police are 
trailing a computer system or trialing a computer system that can piece together what might have happened at a crime scene. The idea is that the system called Valkyrie will be able to do the laborious parts of a crime analyst's job in seconds, freeing them to focus on the case while also provoking new lines of inquiry and possible narratives that may have been missed. Everyone thinks policing is about connecting the dots, but that's the easy bit, says William Wong, who leads the project at Middlesex University in London. The hard part is working out which dots need to be connected. Valkyrie's main job is to help generate plausible ideas about how, when, and why a crime was committed, as well as who did it. It scans millions of police records, interviews, pictures, videos, and more to identify connections that it thinks are relevant. All of this is then presented on two large touchscreens for a crime analyst to interact with. The system might spot the shell casings were found at several recent crime scenes, including the one the police are focusing on now, for example. An analyst can then say whether this is relevant or not, and Valkyrie will adjust the results, says Nisha Kodagoda, also a, uh, at Middlesex. Thanks to machine learning, the system improves its searches on the basis of such interactions with analysts who can raise or lower the importance of different sets of criteria with a swipe. I am, I am provoked to uh, memories of images of Minority Report. Did you ever see Minority Report, Bren? I've seen it like on TV every now and then. Yeah, it's it's uh, a. I don't know how old it is now. It had to have been, I think if not the late 90s, then the early aughts when that came out. And at the time, it was, you know, radical science fiction. The idea of pre-crime, the idea of being able to to predict when people were going to do things and what have you and to, to piece together the details on the fly and to, to use uh, a kind of interactive computer technology to do so. We don't have uh, precogs who can see the future just yet, but our machines are getting rapidly close to that type that style of capability and of course the danger here is where do you draw the line between having cause to observe or watch or monitor someone who is exhibiting a a pattern of behavior that has a high indication that some sort of criminal action is about to take place and actually taking action ahead of time preemptively you know because in order to where it's it's really tough to to draw that line when you can do so with such precision as it stands now, kind of out of necessity where we are reactive to crimes, you know, when, when it happens, then, you know, the police come and they, you know, try to stop whatever's taking place in the moment and then investigate and prosecute and what have you. But if we reach the point where we can credibly and with a, a high degree of accuracy predict that something is about to happen, then it raises this whole new philosophical question of okay now what what proper at what proper point can you take an action prior to or as something is manifesting you know do, do you have to in other words let's put it this way do you have to let somebody get shot do you have to let somebody get stabbed do you have to let somebody be a house be broken into or a car be stolen before you act to stop it that's the question that our new technologies is raising for us. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com.
GQ would like to see Dwayne The Rock Johnson run for president. This is Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855. The number to join us from GQ. No one gets up earlier than Dwayne Johnson or goes to bed later or is more awake during the hours in between. No one in Hollywood is more buff, more driven, or gets paid better. The man has so much charisma and ambition, he can do anything. Comedy, action, pretty little cartoon voices. Some people even say he could be president. And uh, then it goes on to set up the uh, interview with one of their authors with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And if we scroll down, it eventually gets to the question of, you know, does he think that he might one day give up on all this movie star stuff and go into a career of politics, try to be president of the United States? His answer I think that it's a real possibility, he says solemnly. Continuing at GQ, when you think about the distance Johnson has already traveled, the idea doesn't sound crazy. So far, Johnson's tale of success has been your classic rags-to-stretch-fabrics-to-riches story. He was born in California, the only child of Rocky Johnson, a pioneering black Nova Scotian wrestler who performed in a tag-team duo called the Soul Patrol, and Atta Mavia, who has ties through her father to the Anoy family, a legendary clan of Samoan wrestlers, and goes on to give more of his biographical data. This is not a crazy idea. It might seem like it at first glance, but the fact of the matter is this would hardly be our first celebrity candidacy, and if he, through some set of circumstances, was successful, it hardly would be our first celebrity president. Guess what? We got one in there right now, right? Donald Trump, who emerged from ba- basically, I mean, you know, he could, he's touted as uh, a a business personality, but more than that, it's he's a celebrity. He's a brand. He's a personage. He comes out of the pop culture, and he wasn't the first one to do that either. You know, going back to Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan started out as a movie actor, a film actor, uh, and and indeed that you know that's par- largely what he was known for. Uh, prior to becoming you know, governor of California and, and working his way up and finally become president of the United States. So this is not without president. And, you know, somebody like, like Dwayne Johnson, you know, the, here's the, the obstacle that somebody like him faces. And, you know, you see, you've heard rumors along the lines of, you know, is Tom Hanks going to run for president? Is Oprah Winfrey going to run for president? You know, are we basically just going to start uh, recruiting our candidates from the, the roles of A-list Hollywood and what have you? The problem is, yes, do people do is there broad like of these personalities? You know, do, do a lot of people like them generally in the populace and the pop culture? Yes, they do. That changes very, very quickly the moment they start opening their mouth about actual policy. Well, uh The Rock as president would be great news for Linda McMahon. But uh I think that <laughs> Like, we give Brit- Great Britain a lot of crap because we hear so much news about the Queen and the royal family. But it's kind of a healthy relationship with government because the Queen, the Queen's family is the head of state, whereas Parliament is the uh, head of government. Right. Whereas the presidency, it's those roles combined into one. Right. Which is why you also saw the kind of regal treatment of Michelle Obama and mm-hmm. uh, Malia and Sasha as well. Yeah. So if we could elect someone like Donald Trump, like, okay, this is how we feel. 
and we want Donald Trump as the head of state. Like, that would be one thing, but then you could elect somebody less capricious right, as right, right, right. Head, your head of government. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, you know, you could elect The Rock as the yeah. head of state in 2020, and it's somebody who actually sure. understands government sure. as president. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's just it. I, I don't know how successful – I mean, it, it all depends upon – because that's the thing is and, – and I don't know. Maybe The Rock has a comprehensive – you know, ideological, philosophical perspective that he brings to the table. I'm not going to discount the possibility that he actually has some thoughts that make some kind of sense regarding public policy. The, the one thing that I have seen him in that indicated that, you know, he was a little bit of a thinker was uh, there's this uh, documentary on HBO that you can go take a look at. I think it's called, I want to say it's between a, a rock and a hard place or something along those lines. And what it is, is it's it, there's this boot camp down in Miami-Dade County that's an alternative to the sending convicts to prison. And, you know, they take them through this program and, you know, it goes however many months. And if you can make it through the program, then you basically get a second chance to be, you know, rehabilitated and released back into society through a halfway house or whatever the case may be. And Johnson, uh, the rock... Came across this through some means or another. You know, he's down there touring for a movie or whatever the case may be. I was really struck by it and impressed by it, and and made took the effort to produce this documentary so that more people would learn what they're doing down there. Now, what that signals to me is that the guy is he's has a sincere interest in improving the world in which he lives. You know, he has a sincere interest in taking a look at a different way of doing things, uh, and, and you know. If he was to build a future campaign for whatever office off of those types of kind of nuanced, creative issues, instead of taking a canned approach that's that's explicitly partisan, then maybe he might have a chance, you know. But otherwise, the moment he opens his mouth and says, this is my stance on abortion or this is my stance on, you know, health care or whatever the case may be, and it's it's it fits neatly into the category of Team Red or Team Blue, he's going to face the same sorts of disadvantages as any other candidate, with the exception of name recognition, of course, which, you know, is obviously a big deal in politics. From the Star Tribune, St. Olaf's College's president told the campus Wednesday that a fellow student confessed to writing a note with racist and threatening content and admitted that it was fabricated as an apparent strategy to draw attention to concerns about the campus climate. I don't, well, actually, unfortunately, I, I increasingly do understand where this type of thing comes from. It says something about your worldview. It says something about the veracity of your underlying political motivation. When you have to fabricate evidence that the world is as horrible as you say it is, right? You know the the reason why I am comfortable d debating virtually anyone, comfortable taking any phone call, comfortable you know, engaging on any issue, is because I seek after truth and rest my opinions upon you know observational reality. Like I can point to facts and build my case upon that. I don't have to make anything up. It's incredibly liberating. But in order to do that, you have to be willing to accept the implications of reality, and that can sometimes be hard, especially if you find yourself on the left side of the political spectrum. This is Closing Argument. My name is Walter Outson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Glenn Beck is next. 
Thanks for listening. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. We'll see you tomorrow. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.